Hey, you're listening to Cut for Time, a podcast from Faith Church located on the north side of Indianapolis. My name is Claire Kingsley. Each week, I'll sit down with one of our preaching pastors to discuss their Sunday sermon. Cut for Time is a look behind the scenes of sermon preparation, and they'll share with us a few things that we didn't hear from the sermon on Sunday. Thanks for listening. Joining us live from California, it's Joey Weisman. All the way from sunny California, where it's the clock here says 6 p.m. and my body says bedtime, but it's bright and sunny. And yeah, so for those who don't know, I am at EFCA One, which is our uh, denomination's every other year national conference. So uh, the whole goal is to get together, encourage one another with relationships and training and scripture and all that. So Have I told you about the Airbnb that I got? Mm -hmm. Okay, everybody's going to love this. So uh, Jenna and Anna are not with me on this trip. I'm by myself. So I I went cheap. I got an Airbnb that is literally one block from the place where we're meeting this church, Fullerton E-Free, Fullerton EV-Free in Fullerton, California. And uh, I'm pretty sure that this room is half of the garage space that this condo gets. because yeah, it's like there's a screen door to enter the room and I think they're renting out all the rooms in the house. So I have to like wait until I don't hear anyone upstairs in the shower so I can go use the bathroom and stuff like that. It's like being in a hostel. Um, there are a total of three lights in the room that I can turn on and two of them are black lights. So, <laughs> but it's like 60 bucks a night. So that's mm. pretty good for, for Orange County. I was just going to say, also, our church budget thanks you, Joey. Take it yes, on for the yes, team. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, I spent my training budget on books. And so then doing something like this, it's like, um, you know, like Erasmus said, anytime I get money, I buy, what has he put it? I buy what I need to eat. And with anything left over, I buy books. So <laughs> I'm in a creepy Airbnb <laughs> where I'm locking the door at night, for sure. Oh, okay. Well, Joey, give us a recap from your sermon on Sunday. Uh, Sunday, we were in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. This is Pentecost. This is the power. So, you know, when we talk about Pentecost now as a holiday, we're usually referring to this, even though uh, Jews at the time would have referred to the harvest festival of Pentecost that came 50 days after Easter, a celebration of God's good gifts in giving the harvest. Actually, after Jesus's time, after the establishment of the church, uh, as Jews continued to celebrate Pentecost, they began to associate the holiday even more with uh, God's giving of the law. And so it's not just celebrating harvest. That's one good gift, but also the giving of the law, another good gift given from God. So, but anyway, um, so sermon-wise, we were looking at, at Pentecost and this initial outpouring of the Spirit, the filling of the Spirit, Um because this is, you know, this is where the story goes next in Acts, but this is a huge turning point in the history of Christianity, of the Jesus movement, of the Messiah movement uh, within Judaism, because this is when God comes to dwell in his people and with his people, which is like a key promise of the Old Testament. I will, you know, you will be my people. I will be your God. I will dwell with you. This is what was lost in the garden and is now being restored in the kingdom of God little by little progressively as we wait for God to come in his fullness uh, at the end of days. 
And so you know, the, the whole point of this, this week's examination of these, these verses was to see God building his temple and dwelling in his people. The, um, in the Old Testament, you know, the tabernacle, the temple, the burning bush, these were hugely important places in Israel's memory because these were times, these were places where heaven and earth came together. The temple, the tabernacle were always thought of as uh, the, the place where heaven and earth overlap. So you could think of heaven and earth as like two dimensions that overlap and places where they fuse or break together, come together is in the temple, in the tabernacle, ultimately in the person of Jesus, who is God and man, right? Um, and that continues, heaven and earth coming together in the temple continues, except the temple now is the church. It is mm -hmm. the body of believers, as Peter says later in a letter, you know, you are being built together as living stones into a holy house. Uh, you're a kingdom of priests, a nation of priests, all of that. Um, so the, the, the main thing I wanted to do with this series, or the, this, sorry, this sermon, uh, was to point out, hey, this is temple. This is temple language. This is sacred space. God is living in us uh, as his church. This is how the creation mandate to fill the earth with the presence of God begins to finally get back on track and work itself out uh, in, in the church. But also like, okay, the presence of the spirit in us isn't to make us feel guilty for never witnessing, never evangelizing, never telling other people about Jesus or anything like that. Like sometimes we can get really overwhelmed thinking about, oh man, I got to tell people about Jesus. I got to do all this stuff. Um, but it's like, no, spirit of God is in us. All we have to do is be available. Yeah. And I was hoping that was comforting, reassuring, encouraging to folks of, hey, we're, we're just going to uh, be available to uh, what God, you know, be available to God using us. Um, knowing that he gives us power for a purpose and sort of the second encouragement i wanted to get across was hey in acts 2 like they're empowered with a specific ministry skill for the purpose of evangelizing jews from all over the world with all sorts of different languages <clears throat> that's not the same purpose for which we're empowered for us generally empowerment looks not like those ecstatic gifts of the spirit uh, you know, like speaking in tongues, but more like the fruit of the spirit, love and joy and peace and, and all the rest. Okay. Thanks, Joey. So yeah. I've got a few questions for you to carry us through our time here. Um, one yes. kind of, it connects, it connects to this sermon, but also just kind of our conversations that we've had in previous cut for times. So um, previously we were talking about um, just like the reverse structure and the connection between the book of Acts and the gospel of Luke. You broke yeah, that yeah, down yeah. for us yeah. in a cup of time. And I had responded like, man, it just makes me worship. Um, like it brings me to worship to just recognize the inspiration of scripture because I'm like, mm -hmm. people couldn't come up with this. This is so amazing. Um, and yet someone also has a good point of like, yes, all scripture is God breathed. So how much of this idea of scriptural resonance is truly intended by God and the original human authors for us mm -hmm. to find and to like dig deep into, um, to find that deeper spiritual truth and idea, because there are also human authors, for example, someone who writes Lord of the Rings or the great Gatsby or whatever, where you can dig into these, um, books and find really deep, meaningful themes Yet this mm -hmm. is not inspired scripture. So how how much is it unintentional rhyming? How much of it is intended by the Lord? You know, mm -hmm. 
Yeah. No, it's a really good question. It's a really good question because you can you can certainly go way too far with like looking for secret hidden connections that reveal deeper meanings of scripture, right? I remember meeting a guy once who was like, you know, if you take if you take the entire Hebrew Bible and you take all the letters and you put them in a grid that's a perfect square, and then you can start finding words, Hebrew words hidden in the grid. And I'm like, yeah. Okay, but for any sufficiently large data set that is made up of numbers, you could put them in any shape to reveal the words you want to show up, right? And mm -hmm. that's that's much more about human sort of ingenuity and manipulating data than it is about finding. I, I don't think God intended, in other words, I don't think God intended for us to take the letters of the books, arrange them in grids, and try to do word searches to find, you know, how many words show up wherever. Mm -hmm. At the same time, you know, the question does hit on something that's really true, that all great works of art have so many layers. And I mean, that's what makes something a, a truly great work of art is you, you feel like you can come back to it. And every time you come back to it, there's something more in there that you didn't see the first time. So yeah, Lord of the Rings is, you know, intentionally structured and Gatsby is intentionally structured. And I remember hearing once that like John Milton's great Paradise Lost, the uh, however many thousands of words long it is, the center word is the word Christ. You know, things like that are done intentionally by human authors. Um, sometimes we, you know, we forget that that human authors don't just sit down and write from beginning to end and then they're done with it. Um, for instance, I remember reading Stephen King's book on writing. He talks about writing his first novel, and, which was Carrie, and he writes the whole, he writes it all out. And then he sits back and reads it and he's like, gosh, I wonder what themes there are in this story that I didn't realize were there when I wrote it. And he mm. sees the theme of kind of blood coming through. So then his second draft, he intentionally rewrites it to highlight that theme and make it, you know, make it explicit. And, and Luke is an incredible historian. And, you know, Luke, Paul, uh, the evangelists, uh, meaning the gospel writers, none of these guys just sat down and started writing. And then when they were done, boom, you know, the whole finished thing, right? Mm -hmm. Luke, especially we know is collecting stories and he's doing interviews and he's doing original research and he's, you know, he's taking notes and he's jotting things down. And then at some point he's sitting down and he's saying, how do I want to put this together? Right. And how do I want to put the gospel together with the acts and what are the important things that I want to emphasize for my audience? Things like that. So there's a lot of human intentionality that goes into the structuring of it. Actually, Matthew, even more than Luke, is a master at the structure of it. But some of that, all of it, a lot of it, I don't know what percentage of it is uh, inspired in the sense that, hey, these are still God's words spoken through. Um, through the the human author, um, so yeah, you don't want to go. Well, I, let me back that up. I think the one one mistake that we tend to make is we assume that hidden truth is deeper truth, and that's that's not necessarily true. Mm. Um, everything we need to know for salvation in Christ is plain and right on the surface. And that's the okay. deepest truth of all. Absolutely yeah. the deepest truth of all. You, you don't need to know anything about the biblical resonances of fire and wind in order to read Acts chapter two and be like, oh, wow, the spirit's coming like Jesus promised. And now this thing is going, right? Like that's, that's the deepest truth of all. And it's right at the surface, yeah. right at the surface. Um, 
but there there are you know through lines that go all the way through all of scripture that help us to to catch how big of a story this really is and how many different facets this story really has now one of the reasons that we can get a little bit suspicious of you know like well are you reading into it when you're emphasizing fire or wind or temple language or things like that is that we just don't culturally resonate with those ideas in the same way that original hearers would have. Um, so if I, you know, if in our culture, if we were, if I were writing a story and I kept throwing in references to baseball and apple pie, right? It's like, okay, it's a quintessentially American novel. Like those are the, you know, it's as American as apple pie, right? Mm -hmm. um, or if I were throwing in lines that are obvious uh, throwbacks to uh, great speeches or moments in American history. Um, if I were to say, I have a dream, or we do these things not because they are easy, but because they are hard, or um, four score and seven years ago, right? Those lines may come across to a non-American as just, well, it's kind of weird that he said it that way. But to us, immediately, there's a resonance, right? Mm -hmm. uh, all I have to say is backyard barbecue. And in our culture, you've got instantly um, a, a whole you know, raft of personal history that comes with it. Or I could just say fireworks on the 4th of July and you, you, know, you know what that means. So um, if I say like fireworks and a military flyover, right, that, that carries something. Um, and it's similar for a, a Jewish reader under, yeah, you know, of, of Acts. They hear fire and wind and they're like, whoa, God's showing up. In yeah. the same way that if I say fireworks and brats, you're like patriotism, it's the 4th of July. Yeah. Yep. All right. That makes sense. I appreciate that. And I um, also think it's just that nugget of like hidden truth doesn't mean it's deeper truth. I appreciate that. And I think right. that that is right. really actually a really rich thing to just like keep in the keep in our minds as we pursue and study scripture. It is important for us to like work to understand it. But like I can um, interact with and have a relationship with the living God in the same way you can, even though I read not even a fraction of the books that you read, Joey, and do a fraction of the research that you do, I can still have that relationship with the Lord in the same, like, same way you do, you know? Yeah, abs absolutely. And, you know, there's, yeah, the scripture is written in other languages. And if you want to call yourself, you know, an expert in French poetry, you got to know French, right? And you got to be soaked in it to the point where you recognize language resonances and all that sorts of sort of stuff. But that doesn't mean you can't really enjoy French poetry in translation, mm -hmm. uh, especially if it's a really skilled translator who is soaked in the language and also soaked in English and can bring it across uh, that way. So, you know, I've been in in group settings where people have been like, oh, you know, what's the what's the significance of the Greek word here uh, underneath this word? Like, oh, you know, it says all, but what's the Greek word behind it? I'm like, it's the word for all, right? There's there's nothing special in, yeah. in knowing the Greek. Um, on the other hand, uh, there's always more to explore and to discover that can help to sharpen the deep truth that's right on the surface. Totally. And that is why I go to church and listen to your sermons. <laughs> yeah. Right. All right, so Joey, next question. Um, yes. Could you just talk to us a little bit more about speaking in tongues? Maybe some of yes. the ideas that we've like come into this sermon with, this like misconceptions maybe, or yeah. can you talk about like 
maybe why does it make some of us uncomfortable because we can't understand it or like why does it seem bound to certain denominations but not ours yes how does this work itself out yeah yeah man that's a great question so speaking in tongues when i use that phrase in english that means different things to different people um let's talk about translations for a second I, i hinted at it a little bit in the sermon that the esv um, is being faithful to the Greek text by translating the word tongues as tongues instead of translating it as the word languages. And they're doing that so that they leave it open to the interpreter to understand, or you know, to the reader to understand like, hey, tongues of fire speaking in other tongues. It's like, oh, you know, sounds like it means languages, right? They're not making the interpretive leap by choosing the word language, they're letting us interpret it ourselves, which is both good and bad because mm-hmm. it's good and it's being a little more faithful to the Greek. It's bad in that speaking in tongues kind of has a definition that is not what is intended there in Acts chapter two. Mm-hmm. Um, so speaking in, in tongues um, to us, English speakers tends to mean um, speaking in an well, here, I'll give you the actual definition um, from a Greek lexicon, Bauer, Denker, Art, and Gingrich, BDAG, um, as it's known, defines, says one of the ways this word, the word is glossa or glossace in this context, uh, it can mean the organ of speech, your tongue, uh, or figuratively of the forked flames in Acts chapter 2, verse 3. Um, or it can mean a body of words and systems that makes up a distinctive language as in a language or tongue. Uh, But the third definition they give for it is an utterance outside the normal patterns of intelligible speech and therefore requiring special interpretation. Mm -hmm. So you could translate it as ecstatic language, ecstatic speech, or tongue. So for, I can't speak to the full extent of church history on the issue of speaking in tongues, but there's, there's passages in 1 Corinthians where Paul is writing, you can think of the the love chapter, if I speak in the tongues of other angels, you know, um, or in 1 Corinthians 14, uh, where he's saying, hey, pursue love, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. He says, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, what's, what's fascinating about the whole speaking in tongues thing is that this is a known phenomenon in other Hellenistic religions, so other than Christianity, where um, in these other other languages, it's a uh, ecstatic um, phenomenon where it's like, you know, you're so overwhelmed, or you're in a point of religious ecstasy, and part of the way that's expressed is through unintelligible series of noises that sound as if you're speaking in another language. And there's some debate about, is that what Paul is referring to in first Corinthians 14, where he's saying, Hey, you know, someone who is in such heights of religious ecstasy that they're speaking on unintelligibly, isn't building anyone up. Anyone, the only person who understands them is God. And they're mm-hmm. the only thing they're building up is themselves. So he's like, don't go after that. You need to go after intelligible speech, prophecy, which is teaching or proclamation that builds up others. 
Um, part of the reason we're uncomfortable with it in, you know, our churches, our denominations, is that by and large, the practice of pursuing speaking in ecstatic speech had not really been uh, emphasized in our more staid Western, um, you know, thoughtful, as in like um, emotions, you know, take a second seat, you know, we don't get ecstatic about anything. We don't get into high levels of religious ecstasy or anything. But there was a movement in the early 1900s in the United States, especially uh, it's called the charismatic movement or Pentecostal movement. There's a couple of waves Mm -hmm. to this movement, which started to say like, look, if the Holy Spirit's moving in you, we you should see something like this happening. You know, you should be open to this sort of thing happening to you. And they're referring specifically to the speaking in unintelligible ways that then someone else would, you know, interpret um, for the benefit of the congregation. Um, Some go a little too far with it, I think. And they say, until you speak in tongues, you can't even be sure you're a Christian. Um, Mm -hmm. And and so speaking in this unintelligible thing becomes the proof that you're a believer. And I I remember uh, a coworker once um, telling me that she was like, yeah, she had to fake speaking in tongues for her family so that they wouldn't ostracize her for not being a real Christian. Mm. Right. Yeah. Right. So, um, and you can, you can, you can take anything and push it too far and make fun of that. Um, Personally, my view, when you're reading scripture, anytime you're, you're reading about speaking in tongues, Paul in first Corinthians here, Luke here in acts is talking about speaking in other intelligible languages uh, except for i think they're like in first corinthians 14 where paul is saying and i think he's saying somewhat facetiously like look if you're at in the heights of religious ecstasy where you're speaking unintelligibly like that's not helping anyone um the point of and there, there's scholars who have made you know i think pretty good arguments that everywhere in scripture that it talks positively about speaking in a tongue none of it is about this unintelligible speak speech as a result of religious ecstasy it is all you know, skill for a ministry purpose of being able to speak in tongues that others don't understand. And there are, you know, modern day stories of similar things happening, um, talking to missionaries, talking to other people who are in contexts where Christianity is still being authenticated uh, as real, that they will suddenly find out like one story somebody told me even Sunday afterwards was somebody's having a conversation and uh so it's like a husband and wife together and the wife is talking to uh someone that this is this is in russia somewhere they're talking to them about jesus and they're having this great conversation and afterwards she asked her husband how do you think it went and he's like i had no idea what you're talking about i i don't speak russian and she's like well i don't speak russian either um mm-hmm. but that it, somehow they were communicating right man um, so awesome can, i know right so it can still happen and, and that's the kind of speaking in tongues that if I were to pray for any sort of gift of the spirits, like that's the one I would love for. I would just personally, I pray to be more in, yeah, more intelligible and eloquent in English, but um, if that's I'm ever my in prayer, that, uh, you don't need that. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, if I'm ever in the, op- you know, in the place where boy, uh, some better Spanish would be nice or, uh, or some language I, I have never spoken before uh, would yeah. be nice. Uh, but it's, you know, I, I think the spirit i will i will never say that god can't or won't do something like this um but i still think it's it's pretty rare and probably rarer than we think um there's the 120 right here in luke in acts 2 there's uh peter who preaches 
But of the 3,000 that come, you know, come to the Messiah uh, in the next passage, it's not said that any of them are given the gifts of tongues. Um, it seems to be limited in the early church to like that 120. Yeah. And when Paul's talking about tongues elsewhere, it seems like he's either talking about it facetiously, um, like unintelligible uh, gibberish that's only doing you good and no one else. Um, or he's saying like, yeah, if you earnestly want to speak in tongues, you know, make it be a helpful one where you're telling somebody about, uh, about the, the, you know, magnificent works of God. Yeah. Okay. I so appreciate so, that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. This was so helpful. I've heard, you know, bits and pieces on teaching of this topic. And I think that the way you've explained it has been the most clear um, and informative for me. So I appreciate it. I hope it does the same for others. <laughs> yes, I hope so. <laughs> and if uh, someone's going to tell us we've been speaking in Spanish this whole time, Joey, this whole time. No, I was going to say, if there's no, if there was no miracle in the conversation, maybe there'll be a miracle in the hearing on their end. And uh, <laughs> they hear something super helpful. That's that neither of us said. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So um, anything else that you want to uh, leave us with? Uh, you know, nothing, nothing in particular other than this is one of those passages that you approach with like fear and trembling because, you know, it, it's just, it's one of the most well-known passages in scripture and it's like, oh, you know, don't mess it up, but also it, it's so well-known for a reason, right? Like this is where the church began. Like this yeah. is, like we said, we're gathering, this is the part of Acts where we're starting to gather the church before scattering it out uh, to, to take the, the good news. And uh, man, it's so cool to see in this passage how it starts, right, with 120 Jewish people in a room, 12 apostles, one Peter, um, and then 3,000 Jews from around the world. And then every day, more like, wait, the Messiah has come? Like, this is incredible. Mm -hmm. And and Luke only gives us, right, that thin historical theological slice of it as we go from here to like Antioch and, and elsewhere. Um, but there are Jews in this crowd who come to Jesus and then scatter uh, all over, back to all over the known world. And it's like already we're a chapter and a half, you know, a chapter and 13 verses into Acts and like the gospel's going to the ends of the earth. It's so cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that song that's in my head um, right now is, um, and mm -hmm. the church of Christ was born and the spirit lit the flame. Spirit lit the flame, past. yeah. Did we sing that on Sunday? I wasn't there. I don't know. But You know, we we didn't. I think on Friday or Saturday, I was like, we should sing King of Kings as the closer. It's perfect. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Uh, it was a little too late, too late to change there. But we just sang it in this conference that I'm at. And I was thinking again, like, that's the passage. We just preached the spirit lit the flame. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, now man. the gospel will not kneel, shall not, shall not faint. It's amazing. Faint. That's right. right. This gospel truth of old. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Cut for Time. If you wish to submit questions to our pastors following their sermon, you can email them to podcast at faithliveitout.org or text them into our Faith Church texting number, and we'll do our best to cover it in the week's episode. If this conversation blessed you in any way, we encourage you to share it with others. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week.